0: morning church who's excited to be in God's house Woo! come on so good to see you guys if you're new with us if this is your first time my name is Pete I have the honor of serving as the lead pastor here and we are delighted to have you with us on this Sunday morning daylight savings where we all got an hour less of sleep than we normally do which is why this service is a little bit fuller than the last one was If you're tuning in online, wherever you're tuning in from, or whenever you're tuning in, whether you're live streaming or watching this at a later date, pray this message is an encouragement to you. And I just want to add one other thing and uh, address my Global Life Church Buffalo family. If you are not local to the western New York area, I just want to encourage you to not let this be a substitute for regular engagement and involvement in a local church body. I hope that this is a supplement to your regular spiritual diet, but it's not meant to be a substitute. And I want to encourage you to make sure you get plugged in and connected to a local church family where you can contribute and be a part of the vision there and advance God's kingdom. Before we dive into the message today, I wanted to um, take a moment to let you guys know about an opportunity that I informed you of a couple weeks ago when we took a moment in our service to pray for what's happening in the Ukraine. When we did that, I mentioned that as a church, we were looking at different options and avenues through which we could support financially the relief efforts that are happening as the number of refugees continues to increase by the day there's now over two million refugees fleeing the nation of ukraine to escape the war there and so we have finally landed on uh, an organization a missions organization called ywam youth with a mission they have a base in romania and they are receiving many of the refugees that are fleeing Ukraine. And so we are going to give you the opportunity to contribute financially toward the relief efforts there. If your heart has been moved and you've been wanting to know how you can be a part of helping those people, then uh, across the board, even news outlets are saying, find a reputable organization that you can give money to that you know, can really help with the on-the-ground efforts as they are trying to provide you know, housing and uh, safe spaces for all of these refugees. And so here's what's cool. Not only can you give on your envelope and just write Ukraine on it, you can also give electronically. Just click the giving type or the fund and select Ukraine support. But also as a church, we have decided that we are going to match up to $10,000 that you contribute toward these, uh, um, toward these efforts. So we want to maximize your impact And so everything that you give up to $10,000 will be matched by the church out of our missions and outreach budget. And so I pray that you would prayerfully consider what God would have you give to be a part of this. We are one church that spans the globe and we've got brothers and sisters um, in that part of the world that are trying to be the church and just share the love of Jesus by, you know, giving a a cup of water and providing a place to sleep uh, to these refugees. And so I'm excited to be a part of that with you. Part two, set the table. Last week, for those of you that weren't here, we talked about this idea that the church is very much like a table, where in our lives, we tend to have the most important conversations, some of the most significant events in our lives happen at a table. But when it comes to church, it can be easy for a church to become more like a buffet, you know, where where Christians just come and consume all of this content and we tend to ignore the needs of the world around us, who are the ones that we've really been called to reach. And so we mentioned last week that at Life Church, Buffalo, we want to be a five-star restaurant for the hungry, not a buffet for Christians. And so we want to offer the best experience people have had all week, and uh, our menu at a five-star restaurant is going to be very simple. We are all about our mission. We are about helping people know and follow Jesus, step by step. And as we do that, we're going to be about three simple things. The weekend, where where we reach and teach with excellence. We're going to be about community, where people can belong and become with authenticity in life groups. And we're going to be about outreach, where we love and serve with intentionality, where we get outside the four walls of the church and we show and share the love of Jesus to the people in our community in very real and practical ways. Because we don't want church to be complicated for people who are just hungry. Because the people in the world, people that don't know Jesus, they've got a refrigerator full of options. And as they try them, they're discovering that none of them really satisfy that hunger in their souls. And so when they finally decide to give church a try, maybe it's a last-ditch effort. Well, I got nothing else left. Maybe I'll try religion. Maybe I'll go to church. We want to make sure that when they come, we have set the table for them and they are able to experience the best meal they've had all week as they taste and see just how good our God is. And so our job as a church is to help set the table for people that don't know Jesus, because Christ has called us to be spiritual contributors, not just spiritual consumers. And so that's what we talked about last week. This week, I want to share a little bit more of my heart with you about what I believe makes for a healthy church and who should be seated around the table of a healthy church. And I felt like the Lord spoke to me even during worship, as we sang that one lyric, God, I receive your vision. And I just wanna declare that over our church today that we would all receive God's vision for our church and what he has called us to be and who he has called us to reach. God, we receive your vision this morning. What makes a healthy church? Is a healthy church full of people who are all Christians? Is it full of people who all look the same, act the same, talk the same, and vote the same? What makes for a healthy church? That, that's actually a, a larger conversation that we don't have a ton of time to dive into today. But I actually think it, it has a little bit to do with what we talked about last week. I think a church that is focused on evangelism and reaching people who are far from God discipleship and teaching people how to follow Jesus step by step and outreach and loving and serving the people in the community in which we're planted. I think those three components, if they're present in a church, have the makings for that to be a healthy church. But who should be seated at the table of a healthy church? I'm going to talk about three different groups of people. I think that anything that's healthy grows. And in order to grow, we've got to be healthy. So let's focus on the health. So who is seated at the table of a healthy church? And as I talk about these three groups of people, I want you to ask yourself the question today, which one are you? Which seat do you sit in? And I think the first seat at the table of any healthy church is that of a non-believer. People who haven't yet made the decision to place their trust in Jesus. They might be questioning. They might be seeking. They might be curious, they might be asking questions, they might be struggling with doubts, but they haven't yet made the decision to go all in with Jesus. I happen to think that this seat might be the most important seat at the table of a healthy church. Where do you get such a crazy idea, pastor? Jesus. Look at what Jesus said in Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5, verse 27. Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi. Now, if you don't know anything about the culture in Jesus' day, tax collectors were the lowest of the low. Like, they were the outcasts of society. You know, you had your, you know, your good moral people that went to temple. You had sinners, you know, which was a category below that, people that really didn't follow the faith. And then there were tax collectors, like They were the dregs of society, considered to be traitors by their own people. So Jesus comes along, one of these outcasts of society, a tax collector by the name of Levi, sitting at his tax booth, and Jesus says, follow me. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect, complain to his disciples and say, why do you eat at the table? Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus' response to them is this. It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance." See, later on in Luke, there's another example of Jesus sitting at a table with another tax collector named Zacchaeus who would come to place his faith in Jesus. And after that, Jesus said, I have come to seek and save the lost. So if, if Jesus' primary purpose was to come and seek people who weren't yet believers, then shouldn't one of the primary purposes of the church to also be to reach people who aren't yet believers? See, I think this is the most important seat at the table, and that's hard for people who grow up in a church paradigm that believed the church only existed for those who were already convinced. The church is for Christians. Well, I would say, listen, Jesus often sat at tables and was criticized for sitting at tables with people that would have never been welcomed in the church. And I would say that if, our, if, if, if the people who felt welcomed by Jesus don't feel welcomed in our churches, then our churches are nothing like Jesus. See, I think the church should be a place where people can come with their questions and their doubts and struggle with their hang-ups and know that they can come in and not be, like, not be afraid of being judged, but know that they're gonna be loved and accepted right where they're at. And listen, if that's you here today, can I tell you how stinking excited I am that you're here? Like we as a church have have tried our best to set the table with you in mind. We want this to be a church where you can come with your doubts and questions. Where you know you're going to be loved. This is a place where you can belong before you believe. But just know that our prayer is that if you come long enough, you will reach a point where you make a decision. You know what this Jesus they talk about? It actually sounds like something I want to place my trust in. But you're welcome to keep coming with your doubts and questions. Just know that going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than going to McDonald's makes you a hamburger. Okay, you can go to church but not ever really become a fully devoted follower of Christ. So this is the first seat at the table of a healthy church, that of a non-believer. But the second seat at the table is that of a new believer. Be careful if you're a non-believer coming to this church because if you keep coming long enough and we do a good job of setting the table for you and present the best meal you've ever had and you get to taste and see how good God is, I think you're gonna make a decision, hopefully, eventually to become a believer in Jesus Christ. Everywhere Jesus went, non-believers became new believers. The Bible says it this way. These are people who've crossed over from death to life. People who've been made new, washed clean. Given a new identity. Forgiven. New believers. But you know what I know about new believers? The Bible says they're born again, right? Unless you become born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. Well, new believers, babies, are messy. And I love the fact that as a church, in the last year alone, we've seen 175 people make the decision to go from non-believer to new believer. Is that not incredible? I hope you realize how special of a thing it is to be a part of a move of God like that. I've grown up in churches my whole life that didn't experience what we're experiencing as a church. 175 people just in the last year we are a family on mission becoming a movement and I hope you're as excited as I am to be a part of this move of God that is seeing so many people brought into the family of God but baby Christians new Christians are messy parents how many of you remember like days when your infants had like blowout diapers you know what I'm talking about oh yeah my my boys are 10 and 12 now but I remember those days like it was yesterday When you know it would come up the back and like into the hair, and like it was everywhere, it was messy. And spiritual babies, new Christians, are going to be messy as well, they're going to be spiritually immature. The Apostle Paul says it this way in First Corinthians chapter 3 For my part, brothers and sisters, I was not able to speak to you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as babies. In Christ, so notice, they are in Christ, they are believers, they are Christians, but they're babies in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, since you were not ready for it. In fact, you are still not ready because you are still worldly. He's saying babies in Christ are still worldly. They don't really yet know how to follow Jesus step by step. So I want to remind my church as we have more and more people moving from the seat of non-believer to new believer that these people are going to have some messes in their lives. They might be, they might cuss like a sailor. They might still struggle with addiction. They might still live in, They might be living with or sleeping with their boyfriend or their girlfriend. They might struggle walking away from a lifestyle that they've been in for 20 plus years maybe. And so my question to us who aren't new believers, are we going to come alongside of them and love them and teach them how to follow Jesus or are we going to stand back in judgment and look down our noses at them? Because I've been around Christians who like to just judge new believers is, can you believe what so-and-so is doing? I heard they got drunk on Friday night. I heard they're sleeping with their boyfriend and they start gossiping. So my heart for our church is that we would be a church that loves these people despite their messes because spiritual babies are messy. But I know that some religious folk don't like it when people make messes in the church that they attend. So, how comfortable are you, Life Church Buffalo, with people making messes in your church? With people not living exactly like we believe the Bible says we're supposed to live? Because babies are messy. I want to be a church where it's okay to not be okay. It's just not okay to stay that way. Because listen, new believers, baby Christians, got to learn to crawl before they can walk. Parents, do you remember what it was like when you were teaching little Johnny how to walk? Right? Right? You'd stand in front of him and hold your fingers out and his little hands would be on your fingers and you'd walk backwards as he, you know, bravely took a wobbly little step and every step he took, you're cheering him on. That's it, little Johnny, you can do it, you got it. And we make such a big deal and we shout and we clap and we talk in our little goofy baby voice and we say, awesome job, Johnny. I think as... Christians, we should make as big of a deal about every baby step a new believer takes as they are learning how to follow Jesus. We should celebrate that because what is celebrated will be repeated. That's a principle you need to know in your life. What is celebrated will be repeated. You bring positive affirmation to someone who is doing their best to take a step and follow Jesus. You celebrate that. That reinforces that behavior, and they want to keep doing more of it. Instead of just judging them and shaming them and making them feel like they're not welcome. I rejoice at the fact that we've got messes in our church that we've got to deal with. Because it means we're reaching people who need them. So non-believers and new believers... So baby Christians, in order to grow in your faith, as we talk about like babies learning how to take steps, I just want to encourage you, if you're a new believer, if you're one of the 175 people that have made a decision to follow Jesus, start trying to take some baby steps. And the first one I would encourage you to to take is to learn how to read your Bible, because that's your spiritual food. In the same way that your physical body needs nourishment and strength, your spirit man needs some nourishment and strength. Jesus said, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Peter says it this way in 1 Peter chapter two, like newborn infants, okay, like babies in Christ, desire the pure milk of the word so that by it you may grow up in your faith, in your salvation, if you have tasted that the Lord is good. You need to engage and read and ingest. Take God's word in so that you can grow up in your salvation. Another baby step is to make it a priority to attend church regularly. If you've been a non-believer and you've not been in the practice of going to church, it might not be like a normal thing for you to prioritize this every single week. You know, the latest statistics nationwide says that even regular churchgoers, regular for most people means once every three to four weeks. I would say that unless you're sick or dying, you need to be in church every single Sunday. You need to be in this environment, surrounded in this atmosphere, experiencing the presence of God and worship, hearing and sitting under the public reading and teaching of the scripture, being surrounded by other people of faith that can encourage you to keep taking steps. So attend church regularly, be here every single week. Another step would be to get baptized. If you haven't been baptized, that's your very next step. We've got another baptism service coming up in a couple of months. You can use the yellow next steps card to sign up for it. Maybe join a life group. That's really where discipleship begins to happen. Once you start developing relationships with people who get to know you and you can be authentic and share your struggles with them, they can help contextualize your faith and help you understand that thing you heard on Sunday that didn't make sense to you. This is how you live it out Monday through Saturday. So take some baby steps. That's how you're going to grow in your faith and learn how to follow Jesus step by step. So again, we've got non-believers and new believers are the first two seats at the table of a healthy church. And I believe that if these people take baby steps long enough, eventually they will move to the seat of a mature believer. Of a mature believer. People who've been through some stuff. People who've weathered some storms in life and their faith has actually grown stronger because of them. People who've come to grow in their understanding of the lordship of Christ and have oriented their entire lives around his kingdom and his mission as mature believers. Because the goal is not to stay In any one seat, we should always be seeking to grow in our understanding of who Jesus is and who he's called us to be. And as a pastor, this is my heart for you, is that you would grow into spiritual maturity. A couple years ago, I read a verse in the book of Colossians that has just been this resounding, um, almost life mission, if you will. And my life group right now is going through a study by Louis Giglio as we're going through the book of Colossians And we just had the the session last week where at the end of chapter one, Paul writes this verse that as a pastor, I can't even tell you how much this echoes in my soul where Paul says, I strive with all of the energy that Christ so powerfully works in me to present everyone fully mature in the Lord. Like my heart for you as your pastor, that would be that I would, Everything that Christ has given me, every power, every energy, every good thing that He's put in me, I would use to help you become mature in the Lord so that when I reach the end of my life and I stand before God on the judgment day, I'd be able to say, Jesus, I did everything I could to present everyone that you entrusted to me at Life Church Buffalo fully mature in the Lord. That's my heart for you. But here's what I've discovered, having grown up in church my whole life, is that Churches that are intentional about trying to set the table for non-believers have a really hard time attracting and keeping mature believers. And the reason for that is that a lot of times people who've been in church a really long time say that they're looking for a church that's just going to meet my needs to go deeper. I just want to go deeper in the faith. I need a pastor that's gonna give me the hardcore meat of God's word. Now listen, I am all for people wanting to go deeper in their faith. As deep calls unto deep, there's something in us that wants to go deeper in the faith. But listen, I have found that the people who usually complain that a pastor isn't preaching deep enough are people who are educated well beyond their level of obedience. They think that getting more theology is going to help them experience the deep things of God when they're not putting into practice and living out the things they already know to do. They're not walking in obedience. And so listen, I take seriously my charge as a pastor and as a shepherd to feed and protect the sheep that God has entrusted to my care. But my primary goal is to keep preaching the gospel which Paul said, we covered it last week, needs to be of first importance in the church. The good news that people can find hope, healing, and salvation in Jesus Christ. And I wanna preach the gospel in a way that presents the timeless and universal truths of God's word on a shelf low enough for even the most biblically illiterate person to be able to understand and apply to their lives. You want to go deeper? Go to seminary. Read books like The Knowledge of the Holy or The Pursuit of God by A.W. Tozer. Like, go for it. Go deeper in your faith. I'm all for it. I want you to go deeper in your faith. But we can never do that in church at the expense of realizing we have a responsibility to these people and these people as well. You want to know what I think of deep churches? I think about what Jesus said in Luke chapter 5 when um, he was teaching, and the disciples who had been fishing all night but caught nothing, Jesus tells them, launch out into the deep. And Peter is like, Jesus, we kind of know what we're doing. Like, we've been professional fishermen our whole lives. We were out fishing all night and caught nothing. But then Peter says, but at your word, Lord, we will do what you say. So they launch out into the deep and they catch so much fish that their nets start to break. They've got to call in another boat to help them haul in the catch of fish. So to me, the deep, number one, is a place of obedience where we say, at your word, Lord, whatever you say, that's what I'm going to do. That's a deep place, is a place of obedience. And number two, the deep is the place where the fish are. To me, a deep church is a church that is focused on rescuing people who are drowning in the deep rather than just coming to the table, the buffet of the church and filling our heads with more content and more knowledge that keeps you coming back to the table so I can keep spoon feeding you. Listen, my job as a pastor is not to spoon feed you, especially if you're a mature believer. You need to know how to feed yourself. Well, I thought the pastor's job was to feed me. Listen, if you've been a Christian 25 years, I think it's time you learn how to feed yourself. We would think it rather strange if we saw a 25-year-old being spoon-fed by his mom and dad. And yet we've got supposedly spiritually mature Christians in the church who don't open their Bible Monday through Saturday and just rely on the stuff that their pastor feeds them on Sunday. You gotta meet my needs because I wanna go deep. I need to experience the deep things of God. Again, explore the deep things of God. In him, we're learning this in Colossians 2, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, the supremacy of Christ. You can spend your entire life exploring the deep things of God and not even have scratched the surface at all there is to experience in him. But don't neglect your responsibility to walk out and live out what you learn. My job is to help you live out what you learn in here. That's my job as your pastor. Because people can grow up without really growing mature. You can grow up in the church without ever really maturing in Christ. Trust me, I've been around a lot of Christians like that my whole life. Grew up in church, not mature in the Lord. And the reason I know this is because of how the Bible describes spiritual maturity. The writer of hebrews says in hebrews 5 anyone who lives on milk being still an infant is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness but solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves how to distinguish good from evil so many mature christians just want want to keep being spoon-fed but The Bible says that spiritually mature people are those who have learned how to feed themselves through constant use, through action, through applying what they have learned and living it out in their lives. And we've got way too many Christians in the church today who are spiritually fat, not spiritually fit. They're consuming a lot of content at the table, but they're not putting it into practice. They're not using it to live a life of obedience and righteousness and faithfulness. They're not serving others. They're just looking to have their own needs met. Listen, we need mature believers in the church. We need mature believers in the church who can help us come alongside the new believers and teach them what it looks like to follow Jesus step by step. What is a mature believer? To me, a mature believer is someone who's serving. Someone who is following in the footsteps of Jesus the Lord and master of all who said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve. First Peter 4.10 says, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to what? To serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace. Mature Christians aren't just coming to the table to consume like teenagers, but they're actually coming to the church to contribute and use their gifts to serve others. And I always... Laugh not in a funny way, but kind of in a sad way when I hear supposedly mature Christians say, you know what serving's not really my thing Yeah, I don't I don't feel called to serve. I I have a lot of Bible knowledge I could lead a Bible study. I could lead a small group. I could I could teach something for you But yeah, the serving thing. That's not really my thing Can I just say something if you're too big to serve then you're too small to lead Because we are all called to serve the body of Christ Every single one of us are called to serve. So mature Christians are the ones who are serving. Mature Christians are also the ones who are giving. Who've taken the step of faith and obedience to trust God and put him first in their finances and bring 10% of everything they earn and bring it back to the Lord and give it through the local church. This church exists because we've got a lot of mature believers who are tithing and giving sacrificially and generously to see the work of God go forward in our city and in our community. Mature believers are also the ones who are leading, leading by example, leading in faithfulness, leading their families well, leading small groups. They've taken seriously the Great Commission. When Jesus said, all of you, need to go out and make disciples of others. And so mature believers say, I have a responsibility to be somebody who comes alongside new believers and teaches them how to follow Jesus. That's what being a disciple is. It's a follower of Jesus. And I'm so grateful for every single maturing believer we have in this church, because listen, listen, New Christians, baby Christians can't take care of themselves. And just like we've got babies naturally that need a mom and dad to help take care of them and train them and clean up after them, we need some spiritual moms and dads, some mature believers to come alongside the baby Christians and say, hey, let me show you how this works. Walk alongside me for a little bit. Let me teach you how to follow Jesus. Let me show you how to love others. Let me show you how to forgive. Let me show you how to serve your wife better. Let me show you how to raise your children in the Lord. Let me teach you what the Bible means when it says this. We need some spiritual moms and dads. And to every mature believer out there who is leading the way in serving and giving and leading from the bottom of my heart as your pastor, thank you, thank you, thank you. This church would not exist without you. The lives that are being impacted for eternity because of your selfless service to the body of Christ can't be measured on this side of eternity. And I'm forever grateful for you. So this is what I believe makes for a healthy church. All three people represented at the table, non-believers, new believers, and mature believers. And when you've got these three types of people seated at the church, I think it's a healthy church and anything that's healthy is going to grow. Anything that's healthy grows. When you've got people from all walks of life coming and telling their friends about this, you gotta come see what God is doing in my church, it's gonna continue to grow. And it's always been a part of Jesus's plan for the church to grow. In Acts 1.8, right before he ascended to his father after the resurrection, Jesus told this to his disciples. He said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and ultimately to the ends of the earth. And so right here, Jesus laid out, start out small in Jerusalem. At this point, there were about 120 believers. And then you're going to branch out and go into the surrounding regions of Judea and Samaria. And then you're going to go to the ends of the earth. But he said, start in Jerusalem. And that's what they did. He said, wait for me in Jerusalem. Wait for the promised gift that my father is going to send, the Holy Spirit. And so they went and they waited. And on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit fell. And Peter, emboldened by the Holy Spirit, gets up, goes outside the house where people had started to gather around because it was, the, it was a, a festival in Jerusalem where believers from all over the world had gathered there, and they were trying to figure out what was happening in this house where there was this commotion happening, and, Jesus, and Peter preaches the gospel to all those that were gathered, and it says 3,000 people made a decision to place their faith in Jesus that day. 3,000 people. Don't tell me God isn't about the numbers. So many people think that like, you know, that church is just about the numbers. You care about numbers. You care about the number in your bank account. God cares about, you know there's a whole Bible, a book in the Bible named Numbers, where God had Moses count every single person in the nation of Israel. He cares about numbers because every number is a name. A life that he created on purpose for a purpose. So yeah, we care about numbers because somebody cared enough to record that 3,000 people on the day of Pentecost gave their lives to Jesus. And I rejoice over the fact that 175 people in the last year have given their lives to Jesus here. But God wants his church to grow. He wants it to grow. Man, talk about going from 120 to 3,000 overnight. They grew 25 times their size in one day. I'd love to be a fly on the wall of the staff meeting that first Monday. What are we going to (laughs) do? But then at the end of Acts chapter 2, after these 3,000 people got saved, it says they, they all devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. That sounds like outreach to me. Every day they continue to meet together in the temple courts. They were going to church. Sounds like weekend to me. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. They were meeting in homes. That sounds like community to me praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And look what happened as a result. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Weekend community outreach, I see it all in this passage here. And when a church is healthy and is focused on the right things, it will grow. When God is involved, things rarely stay small. Didn't Jesus tell Peter in Matthew chapter 16, that you are Peter, which means rock, and on this rock, I'm going to build my church, an army, a gathering of people that not even the gates of hell will be able to stop its growth and advancement. Jesus, from the very beginning, wanted his church to grow. It was always God's plan that his church would be growing and pulling up more seats to the table for people who need his grace, his love, his mercy, and his forgiveness. And so, If the church is like a table, I'm gonna move these seats out of the way so you can see this. If the church is like a table and there are more and more people coming to the table for dinner, how do you make room for them? Well, you have to plan for it, don't you? You have to prepare to make room for them. And that's exactly what Kelly and I did with our dining room table. This is my dining room table from my home. We've had this table for about 10 years it comfortably seats our family afford it actually seats six but kelly likes to entertain and so when we have company over we wanted to have a table that had the ability to increase its seating capacity and so we bought a table that i'm sure many of you have at home which is one that simply does this very quickly and easily can be expanded and you add a leaf to the table i've got two leaves in this table so that the table can go from seating just six to seating like 10 or 12 within a matter of 30 seconds. And so Jesus said, I always want my table to be growing. I always want more and more people to be coming to the table. And so as a church, how do we make room for the people that are coming to the table? See, a church should always be growing. Jesus has made that clear. He's made it clear. But there's always been this tension in people's mind when it comes to a church that's growing. As soon as we hear about a church that's growing, some of us, not all of us, but especially religious people who grew up in the church, scrutiny and skepticism increases. And I've never understood this because we don't do this with any other business or organization, right? If somebody launches a business and in the first year they reach a million dollars in revenue or sales, Like articles get written up about them and say, Wow, what a success story. They must be doing something right. But in the church world, some religious folk look at churches that are growing and they're like, They must be watering down the truth. They can't possibly be preaching the whole gospel. Churches don't grow like that. They're just stealing sheep from other churches. That's transfer growth. That's not really conversion growth. They're just all about the numbers. All they care about is the numbers. All they care about is the lights, the haze, the production, all the numbers. I've already told you, God cares about the numbers. That's why we care about the numbers, because every number is a name. A name and a life, a story that God cares about. Why the skepticism when churches grow? When a church is focused on the right thing and has the right people at the table it will grow the early church was always making room for the people that were coming to the table and we should be too it has always been god's plan for the church to grow and over the last several years we have seen god's favor and hand on our church as we've been doing our best to stay healthy be focused on the right things and we've been seeing tremendous growth over the last several years which is why Back in 2019 we launched Legacy. And I know a lot of you here today are newer, maybe you've only been coming a couple of weeks or a couple of months, maybe even a year and you have no idea what Legacy is. Well, Legacy in October of 2019 we kicked it off, we announced it to our church, was a multi-phase giving campaign to raise money for the expanding table of Life Church Buffalo. And why do we call it Legacy? Well, because that's really what the church is, isn't it? The church is the legacy of Jesus a church that started out with 12 guys and grew to 120 and then 3000, then today, some 2.4 billion people almost around the globe identify as Christians. That's one third of the world's population. That is some legacy. So this legacy of Jesus has been handed down from generation to generation. That word legacy is such a powerful word. It's a proactive word, really. It denotes something of value being handed down or transferred from one period of time to the next. And its purpose is not really to to memorialize the past as much as it is to advance a secure future. And this legacy of Jesus has been faithfully handed down from generation to generation until 16 years ago, our founding pastors, Craig and Carol McLeod, took what was deposited in them when they planted and launched this church. And now it's our turn. Our legacy in this world depends on how we decide to invest what was given to us into the lives of others. Not for our own glory, but for the one who is alive today and is still advancing and building his church through us. The tagline of legacy when we launched it was as one for the one as one church body unified around the mission that God has given us for the one, for his glory. And so phase one of this multi-phase giving campaign was to raise the money for the room that we're sitting in right now. This new auditorium that we opened last February, which doubled our seating capacity over the previous auditorium and allowed us to continue reaching and teaching with excellence to more and more people that were coming to experience what God was doing here. Phase two, once we completed this, we turned our attention to the old auditorium to turn it into the warm and welcoming foyer that you now know it to be, where community and connections can happen. And it might look like we're done, especially if you're newer to the church, you've been coming for a couple weeks, couple months, you're like, wow, this is a nice church, whatever, But Truth is, there's still a lot of work to do and we're inviting you to help us finish what we started. And in a moment, I'm gonna pray and I'm gonna pass out a brochure and explain a little bit more about this, but let me just close with, with this statement here. See, at the table of the healthy church, I think there are three types of people, non-believers, new believers, and mature believers. And so my question to all of you today is, which one are you? And understand that we never arrive spiritually So every single one of us has a next step to take, whether you're a non-believer, a new believer, or you've been following Jesus for 25 years, every single one of us has a next step. So I just want to challenge you to identify your next step, just one, pick one. If you're a non-believer, maybe your next step is to come back next week and just keep coming, keep exploring, keep wrestling with those doubts. Or maybe your next step is to finally make the decision and go all in with Jesus. If you're a new believer, maybe your next step is to pick a couple of baby steps so that you can begin to grow in your faith. Definitely sign up to get baptized if you haven't been baptized yet. Prioritize regular church attendance so that you can keep hearing the word, being surrounded with other people of faith that can help you grow. Join a life group. That's really where discipleship begins to happen in the context of life on life relationships. But pick a baby step so that you can start to grow in mature believers. Maybe your next step isn't to just be in a group, but maybe you would realize, you know what? I've got enough in me that God has deposited that I'm ready to lead a group. I wanna not make excuses for why I'm not coming alongside newer believers to help them in their understanding of what it looks like to follow Jesus. Maybe in this next Connect event we've got coming up after Easter, you would go to Rich Clarkson and say, you know what, I'm, I'm ready to, to lead a group. Maybe that's your next step. That's a healthy church. And I think I think we're a healthy church. We're not a perfect church. Don't hear me wrong. There's no such thing as a perfect church because it's full of people and people are imperfect. And so if you're looking for a perfect church, I'm sorry to disappoint you, but we're not it. Okay, we're going to disappoint you. You'll eventually be hurt by somebody or offended by something. You hold the micro, the magnifying glass, up to any church, any ministry, and you're gonna see the cracks, you're gonna see the faults. But I think that if we keep focusing on the things that God wants to focus on, reaching people far from God, teaching people how to follow Jesus step-by-step, doing outreach and social justice, I think we're gonna continue to see people come to the table of the church, and we need to keep adding leaves. So let me pray for us today. God, I thank you for... um, what you're doing in our church. I thank you for the way that your hand has been on this ministry and for the the lives that have been made new by your Holy Spirit that is leading them and drawing them to make a decision to follow you and trust in you. Lord, I pray that you'd speak to all of us about what you're calling us to do. What our Next step is, to the non-believers in the room, I pray that the Holy Spirit leads you to keep pursuing the truth. To the new believers, keep taking baby steps. Don't worry about making messes. We're okay with it. We'll help clean up. We'll come alongside you. To the mature believers, I pray that we would grow in our compassion, for those who are new in their faith and might not have it all figured out just yet. Lord, convict us if we've ever looked down in judgment upon those who are just trying their best. They're new at this. Lord, I'm just amazed and in awe. I'm so grateful when I look at just the beautiful tapestry of different lives and stories that you are weaving here at Life Church Buffalo and that I get to be a part of this I pray that we would all take stock of the privilege that we have to be a part of this move of God and this time in history and this part of the world that we wouldn't take it for granted and that you would speak to each one of us right now about what our next step is thank you Lord Way you're building your church. Give us wisdom to know how to expand the table to make room for those who are coming. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I want to ask you guys to be seated. We've got ushers and greeters standing around the room who are going to begin passing out a brochure that we've put together to explain a little bit more about what legacy is. Uh, for those of you that are newer to our church, it's going to describe the two phases that we are looking to finish phases one and two combined were estimated to cost, they were budgeted to cost roughly $3.7 million. The actual cost came in at roughly $4.3 million. So the project went over budget. We were able to secure a loan as a church for just over $3 million. And since launching Legacy in October of 2019, we have seen faithful, generous, kingdom-minded people contribute over $900,000 to the Legacy Campaign, which is absolutely incredible. Thank you to every person who has so generously and faithfully sewn into this ministry to see the work of God go forward in our city. But that leaves a balance of roughly $371,000 to finish these first two phases. And on the inside, we've broken down how we arrived at that figure of $371,000. There are some outstanding invoices for site work that was done on our property. There are still some invoices we haven't received yet for a lot of electrical work. We're going to need to do some landscaping this spring and summer to that we need to pay for. We also want to redo all of the lighting in the foyer. We also want to replenish... in savings that we had to use to keep the project moving forward. So the total of that is $371,000 and we'd love to raise that in the next six months. And so I wanna ask you to just take this brochure home with you and pray about what God would have you do to be a part of, of completing this. Inside the brochure is a pledge card. We're going to ask you to pray over this over the next week and bring this back with you and indicate on the pledge card with your information how much you are going to give towards this project to finish phases one and two over the next six months. We want to complete this in the next six months, which I know sounds a little bit daunting. It sounds like a big number in a short amount of time. But listen, the way I have seen God so faithfully provide for every need we've had along the way, I am confident that we will be able to meet this need with everything we have in house right now. Because you have proven to be people who are generous and kingdom minded. And listen, the reason we want to finish this is because we're not done growing. We're not done expanding the table. Do you know that last week we had 180 kids in kids' life? We are bursting at the seams back there. We are running out of space. And so we're gonna have to get creative and figure out how to make more room for the families and little ones that God is bringing to the table here. And so before we embark on another capital campaign, we wanna make sure that we finish what we started. And that's where you come in. And so, all I'm asking you to do is just pray. This is not to replace your normal giving. This is not the tithe, okay? The tithe belongs to the Lord. That's what we give to him. This is an offering that goes above and beyond the normal tithe. And I especially wanna speak to those of you who maybe haven't been impacted, because I know how crazy this sounds in the midst of an uncertain economy with inflation going through the roof, gas is up to four and a half bucks a gallon or something like that, and who knows where it's gonna stop. And so some of you are thinking, what are you crazy, trying to raise $370,000 in six months in this economy? Yeah, I'm crazy because I believe in a big God. How big is your God? Right? Building his church, and he uses his people to do it. And so, if you haven't been impacted by this economy in the same way that others have, and to people who tithe, they might feel a little bit of uncertainty, but they don't ever fear because they have seen God's faithfulness over and over again and have come to know and understand that you can never outgive God, that God has never failed to meet any single one of my needs. And so if you haven't been impacted by this economy like others have, maybe God would speak to you and say, you know what? I wanna take a massive step of faith and I wanna give something that I've never given before because I believe in what God is doing in my church and in this community and I wanna be a part of it. So will you pray and then bring this back? Next week, we're gonna receive these from you and I'll be excited to tally these up and announce and celebrate with you all that you have pledged to give to see these phases completed and finished so that we can keep moving forward in the plans that God has for us. The backside of the brochure just shows you a couple of the projects that we've got our eyes on once we finish these first two phases, things that we believe God is leading us to begin to tackle. And so I'm excited about what God's doing. Are you? Are you excited, church? Come on. One more week of Set the Table. I hope you'll be here next week for it. But I love you, church. I genuinely love you with all my heart. I'm excited to be a part of what God is doing here. I hope you have a great week. God bless. We'll see you next Sunday.